This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the book Principles by Ray Dalio. As for Ray Dalio, Ray is an American billionaire. He's a hedge fund manager and also a what they what they call in them their hills a philanthropist. Uh, he's the founder of Bridgewater Associates, uh, the one of the world's largest hedge funds, hundreds of millions of dollars in assets. Uh, Reportedly has a, a net worth north of fifteen uh, or north of seventeen billion. Uh, last check, uh, according to Forbes, which again, I I wonder how they even make these calculations. I mean, it's interesting. You listen to the interviews with these people, and they're like, I don't know how much I'm worth. I mean, I guess Forbes is Forbes might be right. Now, then you have you know the Donald who protests that he's worth way more than whatever Forbes says, but you know whatever. Um, but yeah, so Dalio. Uh, Big time investor known uh, as a bit of a as a bit of a maverick in terms of his approach uh, and has 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 run Bridgewater Bridgewater Associates uh, in some interesting ways. Uh, I, I know he uh, was the CEO. He actually stepped aside to be the co-CEO of uh, Bridgewater for 10 months uh, and then ultimately uh, ultimately then found uh, found a replacement but they'd actually they'd actually been uh in a transition period to find uh to find a replacement for seven years so uh so yeah that uh that, that took a little while to find uh, find a replacement that could be suitable for bridgewater there's actually an interesting freakonomics uh interview where uh where he uh he, he talks about some of those things as i recall uh, that uh, and and the issues with the um, uh, with the shakeup there. So we can go ahead and link that in the show notes. But um, let's go ahead and get to it. Eric, uh, you're the one that read this book, Principles. So I am going to interview you. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and first talk about the the basic structure and the thesis of this book. What's this book about? I mean, obviously, it's called Principles. And it's, uh, you know, by this investor, what, what's he really getting at? What, what, what is principles about? Well, it's divided into three parts, which I found interesting because the first part is his, his bio. So he, he goes through, uh, I mean, his starting off as a young kid, but then also, but really tying everything into to Bridgewater, the company that he started. So things are very tied together throughout the, the whole book with Bridgewater. So you've got his bio at the beginning and then you have life principles and then work principles. And those also tie in together, but they're really principles to use at a company. So these are the principles that he shares with his colleagues and those under him at Bridgewater. And they're really the principles that he credits with leading to the success of the company for the 40 years that he was, was there. So some history, some principles that he uses for, for living, but they're really more to do with being a, a, 
a, a good worker really uh, in a lot of ways. And then uh, the last one are work principles. Uh, so that that's the, uh, the the division of the book and and what he's going for there. So here's here's the 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 I guess where the rubber meets the road. Why even why even have principles you know stated principles like this? What what's his argument for constructing his life and and suggesting that everybody else construct their life according to these specific principles that that he says govern the way he lives and also the way he works and and thinks that other people should should more or less do the same although as i recall i've heard him interviewed about this before he ta- he ta- he does concede that you know his principles may not work for everybody but everybody should have work and life principles that they that they operate by yeah um his his point at the beginning of the book he says to be principled means to consistently operate with principles that can be clearly explained. So the idea of being a principled person, um, but for those principles to lead to lead an organization, he talks later about the biggest benefit of, uh, of principles being to simplify and improve decision-making. So kind of that idea of if you've got principles for, for how you handle certain things, it, it takes out a lot of the the decision making problem. I know Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot uh, with different guests, where you you don't you have the same breakfast every morning, just so you, you don't have to think about it. Yeah, you live in decision fatigue, so you can preserve your uh, disciplined decision making for the decisions that really matter. You know that kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was surprised at the at the the level of detail for the principles. Uh, so Jordan Peter just Peterson just came out with a book and it's 12 principles for life. And then in this book was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of principles <laughs> for life and, and work. So it's, it's really the gu- the guiding, his idea was anytime something happened, he would, he would kind of make a mental note of it and then keep testing it. And then what, what resulted were these, were these list of, of principles. Um, so sort of like Liam Neeson, he makes lists, <laughs> make lists. Make lists and, and that was, yeah. So that, that was one of my, <laughs> my questions too, of, of the book of, of the complex, the complexity of the lists of, of principles. Does that take away from the, the power of the principles? But I mean, it's, it's exhaustive. It goes through a, a ton of different things and, and all sorts of different uh, parts that could come up with uh, in a, in a company. Well, um, why don't we why don't we go ahead and take a look at some of those specifics? So when you're talking about there are these lists of principles that are uh, extremely intricate and extremely involved and detailed. Give us give it give it give the uh, the listener an example of what what you're talking about here. Okay, so I'm just I. I I thought if you asked me this question, I was just going to open up to a random one just to give it an idea, just so it wasn't like one cherry pick. Cause I, I do have some of those later on. Yeah. Let's go ahead and um, just, just, just do the, uh, the, um, uh, the soothsaying version. Okay. Make sure people don't confuse the right to complain, give advice and openly debate with the right to make decisions. So then that, that would be like a sub 
principle of the main principle. So the main principle of that section is recognize how to get beyond disagreements. So then you've got the sub principle and then you've got the sub sub principle. So <laughs> when challenging a decision and or the decision maker, consider the broader context. So it just, it just goes like that. There's, there's the top level ones and then they, they just kind of keep going down to, to where he, he really covers a, a lot of what could come up in any, any day in a, in a, in a company. And what you pointed out at the beginning where he said, you know, these aren't, these aren't just principles for, uh, you, well, take a look at my principles, but, but don't copy them exactly. It's going to be different for, for your, your organization. Um, but these, these are the ones that came about from his four years of, of, of work. Yeah, the interesting thing. So for me is how how do you organize this kind of book? I mean, does he is this basically just kind of like a uh, an extended outline? I mean, again, I haven't I haven't looked at the inside of this. So basically, is he is he doing like Roman numeral one, and then that's indented at a different level from the sub sub uh, principle below it as a as another paragraph? Or how how is how is this organized? Because I do imagine that this could be a bit of a fire hose if it's just principle after principle. Yeah, it's it's organized exactly how you say, and in, in fact, in the the center of the book, he he lists out all the principles, just just the principles, and in the the body content of the book is describing each one of those principles. So you can go to the center of the book and and have it look, you know, like the Roman noodle numerals, like you say, but then but then get more in depth where he gives stories and examples and in in that sort of thing within within each of the the different principles. Interesting. Um, so, and, and I want to make one note too, that, uh, this is something I didn't know going into it. This, this book is life and work principles, but there's actually going to be another book that he's right, that, that he's finishing right now that is going to be investment and economic principles. So this is actually book one of two, which I did not know going into it, but, um, so if he called this one principles, what's left for that one? I don't know because there's nothing really that says principles part one or anything on the uh, the book. Interesting, um, but so here's my here's my my next question. You've referenced sort of the the larger principles, overarching principles that have their own sub principles and so on. Does he have a uh, a top level hierarchy? Uh, how how many principles are on that sort of top level? Uh, so. That, that serve as the anchor principles for all the others. So you mentioned that there's hundreds of principles in here, but how many of those are, are sub principles of, of larger principles versus the, the larger principles? How many are on that, that top level? What are these first order principles? And I'm interested in hearing what they are specifically, if there are few enough to actually to discuss. So for the life principles, there are five and for the work principles, there are 16, but uh, Still got you know how, beat. Yeah. But you know how like in the in the uh, in the Bible where the the lawyer asked Jesus what if he can narrow everything down into into one law what would that be and Jesus gives the answer of, of one law that that covers everything. This one sort of does the same thing where he starts off the chapter with the main or the most important life principle and work principle. And for, for life principles, it, it's really based around the idea of, of truth-telling and 
being open-minded. So just al- always, always being truthful with your answers. And when, when you're in a meeting, uh, even if somebody's above you, always being sure to tell, the, tell what's on your mind and not trying to please the boss, that kind of thing. Um, for work principles, his whole goal and, and all of the work principles, a lot, they, they base around this idea of idea meritocracy. So his whole goal with his company was to make sure that the best idea rose to the top. And you can, you can see that through the principles that, that, that is going to be a main focus, uh, whether it's talking about governance in the, in the company, uh, or, or other aspects of, of the company, it, it's always going to go back to that. We need to, we need to have a place where the best idea wins at the end of the day. So now, now how does this uh, pertain? I know he's talked publicly in the past about radical transparency, uh, as, as a core thing that emerged, uh, in, in his company that, that basically, uh, he ultimately, uh, in Bridgewater, basically they, they instituted a, a culture of radical transparency so that essentially you're supposed to basically say what you think, no matter what, uh, which gets to what you were just saying. How much does, does he directly address that in, in, in his principles in terms of that terminology or explain how he, how that actually functions in a corporate culture? Cause I am mad. I imagine that, uh, for at least some of us, uh, at least some of the audience, and maybe maybe a little bit of each of us, a little bit of a of a lack of transparency is not always a bad thing when it comes to the workplace. Uh, you know, a little bit too much too much information is a real is a is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they had ways of working around that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the big push was that radical transparency, and so. Uh, what, one, one thing I thought was cool, like in meetings, he, you, you had to give people two minutes to speak. So even, even if you wanted to cut them off, if you didn't like what they were saying, they, they still had two minutes to, to get their point across before other people could, could chime in. Um, and then they would, he, they would also have, they had one app where everyone on the, could be on their phone uh, in the meeting and vote in real time. So if they if they were discussing something, they could kind of do a, a a vote. But the the app had two different ways about it. One was just a straight up kind of like pro or con for an idea. But the other the other vote would be uh, weighted towards the the proficiency of the person giving the idea. So if if, if someone had more experience in an area. Uh, it would be their answer would be weighted more and 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 they would have that answer come through <laughs> and and be able to see both of those so it was that was a really cool thing uh, but but more back to the transparency thing one one thing he also did was instituted baseball cards in, in the company so each person would have a baseball card and what what that related to on the transparency side was getting getting the Myers-Briggs or different personality tests like that. And then the baseball card would show what that person, what that person's uh, personality was like, what they were good at, what they were not good at. Uh, so even, even going into a meeting and you're seeing these baseball cards, it, it would just 
keep that idea of radical transparency going because here's what everybody's good and bad at. Here's what they've done in the past. Um, and, and then, yeah, like in, in the meetings, the, the whole idea was to, to, to get all the ideas on the table and to not, not have people be scared because there was somebody superior than them in, in the room. Um, so yeah, he just, he based a lot of things on, on, on getting that transparency. He, he did cover transparency going too far. And so they, they, they had principles against that as well. But, um, that seems like a really tough balance to strike and, and something that's a bit more of an art than a, than a principle, uh, a, a principle thing. Um, but you know, one, actually I found an example of, uh, of radical transparency in Bridgewater, uh, where Dalio has actually shared a, an email that he got from uh, from Jim Haskell, who is a um, who's one of his employees at Bridgewater after a meeting. And this mm-hmm. is the email that he got. Ray, you deserve a D minus for your performance today in the meeting. You did not prepare at all because there is no way you could have and been that disorganized. In the future, I slash we would ask you to take some time and prepare. And maybe even I should come up and start talking to you to get you warmed up or something. We can't let this happen again. If you in any way think my view is wrong, please ask the others or we can talk about it. So this is yeah. this is an employee to the top person yeah. in his head own company, company, to the head of the company, yeah. <laughs> writing this email. And Dalio used this as an example of what he wanted from his employees. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that he practiced what he preached on that, but it does seem to me that it was a, uh, that it's a, um, uh, a, a tricky, a tricky balance to, to strike there. Well, and I mean, I, me, I'm, I'm a very much a people pleaser. And so reading, reading through some of the, I mean, that email in particular, and then different parts of the book, it was just like, I, I was cringing inside. I mean, I can't imagine uh, being a part of a company. And, and he said it would take people 18 months to get situated in, in the company to, to really get their feel. And he, he was fine letting people go if, if that was not the culture for them. But the, the, the big point was to, to build that radical transparency. And, and the reason I guess this book is important or the reason why these principles have any bearing at all is is because of the success of Bridgewater, and he credits the success to these things and to in, in to radical transparency and the idea of meritocracy, and 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 being truthful with, with each other. And if we look at those results, those that that company predicted the 1987 market crash, the stock the stock uh, Monday stock stock crash. They were up 22% on that day. <laughs> they predicted the 2008 financial crisis, and they most recently predicted the European zone crisis. So their track record is is very good. And, and he would go into some of those things of how they how they got to those ideas, and and they thought through these things so much, and and, and disagreed with each other so much, and, and fought about it to to that. They would then go in front of the main uh, in, for the 2008 crisis. They they were in front of Bernanke and and Geithner, and 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 these people would just be amazed because they weren't hearing these these thoughts anywhere else. And same with the eurozone. They, uh, Ray and and a lot of people in the company went and met with different officials in in the in the eurozone, 
And again, they, they had a lot of insight for them bec- and, and they were providing information and insight that, that was not really available anywhere else. Yeah. I, I, I wonder then, so this, it sounds like the overriding work principle really is this, this radical transparency. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. So that's the radical. Well, the radical transparency in order to produce the best ideas. Okay. So radical transparency in order to produce the best ideas is the overriding work principle. What then is the overriding life principle in the book? What, what governs the rest? The, uh, the truthfulness. So truthfulness. So really those two are the same are, 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 are really the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, Radical transparency is a, 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 a workplace application of truthfulness. Mm-hmm. That sound, sounds like it to me. I don't know if he, he organizes it specifically that way. Are there any other overarching life principles or work principles that, that are worth uh, bringing into the discussion that, that maybe just fall, fall just below the level of those? Well, there, there's one one I wanted to highlight that I thought was interesting and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on it as well. And I'm going to uh, find it here. It's on page 343 and it's make sure people give more consideration to others than they demand for themselves. Make sure people give more consideration to others than they demand for themselves. And, and he, he says, this is a requirement. And I thought it was interesting because I mean, you read through these principles, and and uh, Ray, Ray does not say that he's a, a religious guy, and um, but what these principles kind of come to is is almost a religious framework in a way. It's 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 almost like the wisdom literature that we've seen in some of the other books that we've we've read. That's what a lot of these principles come across as, and. It, it, he almost creates a religious framework, but I, I, th- I thought this one was interesting in particular because it, it's similar to the do under others, how you would have them do to you. But he, 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 he almost like takes it a, a different he way. It, and he tweaks it a bit. He tweaks it. it. Like, yeah. yeah. To, to give more consideration for others than, than yourself. So in this, this is a work principle. So he's saying in, in, in the context of, of working, uh, you should be more concerned about, someone else getting a raise than you getting a raise or uh someone else someone else getting getting a a a project um what's the idea that the team success that team success i think what he's trying to do is is apply the idea that team success overrides individual success that if your teammates are doing well then that's going to that's going to ultimately impact you as well so you know it's 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 taking self-interest and trying to reapply that to the team itself and to those around you in the idea that that's going to, that's going to eventually filter back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that is, I mean, that is a central uh, conviction of a large number of world religious traditions. I mean, you, you have Mm -hmm. a a large emphasis on this in, uh, in, in a number of different, uh, different uh, bodies of literature and, and teaching this idea that, uh, again, you you met you reference the golden rule. You get the same the same kind of thing uh, in Confucianism, but but it's usually on the negative. Uh, it's usually the negative uh, side of that. Uh, the same with with uh, 
uh, Hillel's statement of that, Hillel, uh, the the Jewish rabbi, says basically says the same thing as the as the golden rule, but he says, "Do not do unto your neighbor what is harmful, or what what you would not want to, done to you." And and similarly with the uh, with with uh, Confucianism, with the Confucian uh, perspective on this, it's usually more on the negative side, which is a, a slightly different way of going about it. But again, that principle of you know you have to consider other people as at least at least like yourself, you have to consider their well-being the way that you would consider your own. Now it's a, it is taking it, I think to a slightly different level to a higher level to say you should be considering their well-being or their, their, uh, uh, benefit before your own. Uh, that, that's, that, that is, I think another, uh, another step above that. But again, you get that in some of those traditions as well, which are reflecting on that saying, you know, you should, and actually, you have this in the in the New Testament epistles as well. You know, consider others before yourselves. So, uh, so yeah, he's. It sounds like he's discovered some of the same principles that had been. Dis- it's one of those things I find fascinating. Uh, periodically, you see, you know, things like science discovers X, Y, and Z, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, that uh, something that basically every religious tradition has said for thousands of years. Interesting that it took you. <laughs> You know, you took the roundabout way of, of learning that, but, you know, glad you finally got there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, tie, it that really, that principle ties into his radical transparency, though, because if you're, you can be radically transparent and mean, and you can be tr- radically transparent with a concern for others. And his whole goal was to foster that atmosphere of of being radically transparent to help somebody so that email that so you constructive read, criticism in constru- that regard yeah right? yeah yeah so that email that you read that even though it sounds harsh the end goal of that email was to get ray to realize what he'd done in the meeting and then to not do that again well and to call and, him and, out to say listen we know you i mean it was obvious you didn't prepare uh yeah so don't do that again <laughs> yeah and in this book in in you and I are going to cover this soon in uh, thinking fast and, and slow, but it comes up a lot in, in this book. We have a hard time seeing ourselves. Oh yeah. So when someone does tell the truth to you at, at the company, you sh- you should be listening. And so a lot of the principles keep coming back to that of the, the transparency, the truth telling is, is for the good of the company It's for the good of you. And, and these things tie together, as you said. He he does make that point that you can't have the life principles without the work principles, and you can't have the work principles without the life principles. Yeah, and actually, you know, it, it's one of those uh, again, one of those ancient religious uh, texts have a number of things along this line. But you know, this idea that uh, the person who is willing to hurt you by telling you the truth is actually the real friend. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, if so long as they're doing it not to hurt you, but actually to to actually to bring improvement uh, and to to uh, foster something better out of of telling you telling you. So that that seems like a it seems to me that that principle actually should govern the the radical truth telling that that should actually be the prime principle mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, concern for others or what I would call love. Uh, needs to come first. And then as a byproduct of that radical transparency, 
is a, a necessary thing. If you're going to want someone's good, then you're going to tell them where, where something is falling short or whatever, whatever needs to be done to, to fix that. So it's mm-hmm. interesting. I would put it slightly differently, but, but obviously he's, he's, uh, he's ranked them the way that, that he, he sees the, uh, the, the, their relative emphasis in his own, in his own practice, in his own life. Yeah. Well, and, and the, his whole goal of the principle, I mean, there's so many principles that it, it, it's, it's absurd to, to think of, like of having these on the wall somewhere at Bridgewater <laughs> for somebody, Oh, what do I do in this situation? The whole goal of this was I, in religious terms to get it to the person's heart. And the way he talks about that is, is something that we've, we've seen a lot in, in, in the different books of this project, but is for them to be habit forming. So these principles to become habits for people. And it's not, it's not a matter of, okay, let's consult the book of principles by Ray, the 500 plus principles or the 500 page plus principles to, to find out what we do in this situation. But to have those basic things fueling everything, the radical transparency, idea meritocracy, truth, truth telling, uh, and, ha- and, and have those become habits for people. And and the culture of the company to where it 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 works. It's yeah. it's it's not a it's not a, a thinking through everything every single time. Yeah. So I mean, again, that makes sense. Now, um, beyond that, uh, any other principle, uh, any other any other passages that that stuck out that that you think uh, are worth bringing in for the audience, uh, anybody who might be interested in this book? Um, uh, one, one principle and an idea he talked a lot about, uh, in, in, in line of what we were just talking about was taking these principles and putting them into algorithms. (laughs) And we hear that a lot, but, but he, um, he, his, it, it was really, I, I, I don't know how he does it. I, I don't know what, what that means, what kind of programs he's using. And I think part of what he's going to do is release more of that uh, on his website coming up. But there, there would be an algor- algorithm for everything, like hiring people, making decisions, but they're all based on the principles. So he, he would talk about putting these principles into practice, not, not just through habits, but also through, through these algorithms and, and, and talking about humans working the best with computers in, in the sense of having these algorithms help with the decisions, not make the decisions, but, but assist with those decisions. So I thought, I thought that part of the book was, was really interesting. Um, but, but just something also, cause he, he started doing this in the eighties, like when you could first start getting computers that would have power enough to, to do that kind of thing. So he's he's been a big proponent of algorithms since the beginning, and he credits a lot of the the good decisions to the to these algorithms that uh, algorithms that he's uh, he's put together. Yeah, well, I mean, it, the thing about it is really an algorithm, uh, as is often as the term is often used, an algorithm is really a way of of doing a decision tree. Yeah, it's it's like I, I like to think of it as like uh, if if that then this. Right. It's exactly right. It's a, it's a, it's a decision tree of if then statements. So, you know, depending on what data you have, if you have data that can feed well into the if then kind of statements, then yeah, you can, you can make decisions with an, with an algorithm. The difficulty is always getting reliable data 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, especially once people know that there's a given algorithm that's going to make decisions on that basis, the real problem is gaming the system. People have a a real tendency to do that. And what was cool with him, uh, back to your question of of other things that stuck out in the book, uh, along with that algorithm thing and and what you just said about putting the right data in, uh, I, I remember this coming up in the the podcast interview between him and, and Tim Ferriss. So when Ray was on uh, Ferris's podcast, he talked about going back to historical periods and trying to find matches for our current times. And obviously that's not perfect and you can get that wrong, but he, he did it to the point where he would go day by day during the, the uh, Germany in the forties, he would go day by day with history books and newspapers to find out what was going economic on economically and to try to try to get uh comparisons to what's going on now or or in recent times he would he would go back to the depression read everything he could about the depression look at the daily newspaper during that time to to make connections from what he was reading to what was in the daily newspapers what's going on with with stock prices during this time what's going on in, in Europe because of the depression and, and all these things. So uh, I thought that was really fascinating too. And then he would, anytime he would have a new data point, he would, he would add that to the, to the algorithm um, and, and have that be a, a, another key piece to help make decisions going forward and, and try to identify what was happening now. And I, I think the results of them predicting a lot of, a lot of the, the things that happened in the U S in the last 40 years I, th- I think that's a lot of that is testament to, to to his looking at history. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So before we before we uh, wrap up, uh, what about criticism? Any criticism of his uh, of his principles here or of the book in general? Well, a, a few. Um, one is just the. I mean, it's a five hundred and fifty two page <laughs> book, and it was interesting. I, I mean, I. I, this is a book for an executive uh, or someone who... For an effective executive? It, yeah, and, and he actually, you, you could tell he's read effective executive because there's a lot of effective executive talk in the book. But uh, it would either be for someone who's in that position or someone who really, really desires to be in that position uh, to to see how this man ran his company. And one thing Ray continually says throughout the book is I wish Steve jobs would have written down his principles. I wish Benjamin Franklin would have written down his principles. Uh, so he, he's a big, big, uh, proponent of, of having these principles in place. What's interesting Um, is that jobs did actually effectively write down his principles, but he kept them in house. uh, Jobs spent like the last year, particularly the last six months or so of his life, uh, essentially putting together Apple, like an uh, Apple university type environment to try to boil down his principles for how Apple should run and all that and trying to, to, to get that culture so that it would outlast outlive him, which yeah. is interesting. But of course he didn't put it together in a book. He did it for his baby for Apple. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, Ben Franklin, I mean, he did actually write uh, a number of principle. I mean, you read his, uh, his almanac for one, you get a lot of stuff. And then uh, his autobiography has a, a tremendous amount of the, of his principles, the way that he thinks though, maybe mm-hmm. not in the format that, that, uh, that Dalio would prefer. So yeah. interesting that, that, that those would be people he would look at. 
yeah so yeah for first critique is that it's just it's it's exhaustive it's 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 <laughs> it's super long and it while i was reading this book my wife and i are reading a book on parenting and the cover of that book said 14 principles for parenting and then i, I see this other bestseller out there right now by jordan peterson of, of 12 principles 12 rules for life and 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 you know these are these are Ray's rules for life. The, his principles for life. My criticism is, and, and it's kind of in the form of a question. But does having so many rules and so many principles take away from the power of them by by not distilling those down into the the top twelve or something? Because <laughs> even as you and I were talking, you were saying, well, yeah, these things are all kind of tied together into this this idea. So what what if he had done that? I mean, I, I appreciate the the extensive uh, lists, and and I think it is beneficial for someone who it does want to run a company. But um, yeah, it's it's almost like it, I keep going back to to start with why of having that one or or a few whys in place that kind of guide everything else. And that that was uh, that's my criticism number two is is there was never really a why defined in this book. And maybe that's just me liking start with why so much and, and, huh. and wonder, Hey, I wonder why, I wonder why he doesn't have that defined. Cause he, he does talk about the, the, what he talks about the who and those things being important, but he never, he never really gets into why, why Bridgewater, you know, why, why the company, why the principles, that, that kind of thing. So that was, that was my second critique. And then my, um, third one is I want to, uh, I want to read a sentence and see if anything sticks out to you, Jason. What keeps coming to my mind is Malcolm Gladwell's rule that it takes 10,000 hours of doing something to build expertise. Uh Oh, (laughs) first off. Yeah. Not not Malcolm Gladwell's rule. Yeah. And then second off Anders Ericsson's, uh, research and it's not a rule and it's 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to reach mastery and that's more of an average not a rule uh yeah okay so i know that's super picky and that's on one page out of a 552 page book (laughs) but it's like that's um but but it, it was also kind of funny because Gladwell really does get credited with that. And and not until we read Outliers did I know that that was somebody else or, or listened to a podcast where, where they interviewed. Got to give Anders, the credit to but, the Knoll, man. Florida State, yeah. <laughs> Florida State research shaping the world now. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, actually, and, and for those listeners who haven't heard it, we, uh, we did a full episode actually on uh on malcolm gladwell's uh outliers where we discussed that ten thousand hour rule and uh some of anders erickson's critiques of gladwell's appropriation of his of his research in that uh and a little bit of a difference in emphasis there and gladwell's i think reasonable response as well so uh that that may be interesting interesting for some some listeners as well as one of the first books we actually did so pardon some of the uh the audio there but uh, but yeah, that, that may be worth it for, for some listeners. Yeah. So, and then just to swing it back to that, that first, first critique, I, I just kept wondering, like, is, is this necessary? Is it necessary to write out 
all these rules for your company. Is that better or is it better better to have a few guiding principles? Uh, what's the purpose of a mission statement or a vision statement, which he, Ray doesn't speak about at all, and, and rightly so, but those guide some companies. So here he's got principles that guide his company. Other people have mission statement, vision statement. Some companies have a really good why statement. What uh, What's the relative benefit of, of having hundreds of principles written out and that that was kind of the question i was left with after after reading the book yeah interesting interesting yeah because that that would that sounds like that's the sort of critique that i would i would have based on what you've said so far as well so we'll go ahead and wrap it here once again just a reminder that you can follow along with us at booksoftitans.com all sorts of ways to contact us in the show notes And if you haven't done so, if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate the podcast. Give us five star ratings on iTunes or whatever platform you use for the uh, for the uh, the, for your podcast consumption. It definitely helps uh, helps us out a tremendous amount. We'll be back soon to discuss the next book, which is still in the decision process. It's most likely going to be Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. But uh, once again, this has been the Books of Titans podcast. Keep listening, keep reading, and keep improving. And keep it real. Thanks for listening. I made this.